All right, good morning, everyone. <clears throat> Welcome to Hiawatha. My name's Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. As uh, I think Spencer and Peter both said, we're really glad you guys are here. If you're visiting for Christmas or uh, just for some other reason, welcome especially to you. Uh, we are in between series right now, uh, and it's Christmas Eve, so uh, we do this anyway if, it was, uh, not, if that's not the case, but we're going to do something a little bit different today, preaching-wise, in uh, looking at one of the two birth narratives of the New Testament. So there are two in, in, of the four Gospels, two of the Gospel writers, Matthew and Luke, as a part of their accounts, uh, tell the, the story, both with kind of unique versions but complementary, the story of Christ's birth and the theology that surrounds that. So a lot of times here we call this theological history. It's not just history or just theology, but it's a theology kind of by way of history. This really happened. And like, like Peter said a second ago, it wouldn't make sense if it wasn't history that it would spread by words, that there'd be a, a moral lesson maybe associated with the story. But if it's history, if it really happened, if God really came into the world in the way that he did, it would make sense that we would proclaim and pronounce this good news and say, this is happening in the world. God's up to something. Let's think about it. Let's ponder it. And let's think about the ramifications that it has for our life. And so today we're going to do that by looking at part of Luke's narrative. So uh, signs of the gospel from Luke's birth narrative, Luke 2, 8 to uh, 21. Let's read this in full and we'll uh, spend a few minutes looking at this. Follow along on screen. Luke 2. In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that has been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. All right, so what I want to do just for a few minutes with you guys this morning is to walk through this kind of top to bottom and show how there is a progression of good news, a progression of gospel news as Luke recounts it from general to specific. So this is really good news generally to this is how it's good news. It's generally for all people this is good news. Fear is being quelled, but then more of a how is that actually going to happen, all the while seeing signs of that gospel, the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection within the birth narrative prophetically. And so if you didn't know this about God, God is a master at the art of foreshadowing, a master at the art of foreshadowing and just generally storytelling. If you like it in novels and movies, then you should like it here too and even more because this is actually true. It's not a myth. 
And so we'll start at the beginning, just in the first few verses, with the angel's pronouncement in 9 to, well, especially 9 to 13, but also 8. Uh, but in 9 to 13, we see the angels pronounce uh, this, this good news. And in a common pattern in the Bible, when angels appear to humans with God's glory around them, so that is to say that angels are messengers, they're not gods or God uh, himself, but rather they are created beings like us, but they have God's glory around them. So a piece of God, a bit of God in his glory and light is shining around this angel of the Lord, and then by extension the multitude when, when they appear. But this angel of the Lord appearing to them, these shepherds. But a common pattern is that humans tremble with fear when confronted with angels and the glory of God in this way, which suggests that things are not okay between us and God. God's presence is more frightful than reassuring. But that's what makes these first two words so surprising and new when they say, fear not, don't fear. Why? Because, as it says here, or for, so follow the conjunctions. It, it keeps saying for or because a few times in triplicate. For they were bringing good news, gospel news, not condemning news from God or warnings or judgments, but good news for all people. And what is that news? Again, for a Savior has been born, who is Christ the Lord. Christ meaning Messiah or anointed one or king or from a biblical perspective, the long-promised one who would undo all the curses and right all wrongs and bring people back to God, to a new kind of Eden or Edenic existence with God again. And so right up to today then at Christmas time, this is really the same pronouncement we get with the gospel every day. This is not just for the shepherds but for us. And that is, don't fear or worry anymore. It's actually a command, a command from God, don't fear. Isn't that great? God commands us not to fear. He is the ultimate reassuring being in the universe. Don't fear because Jesus. But up to this point in in the story, this is good, kind of, again, vague, but broad and, and good news, but it's still vague. It's quite vague. Good news, but there's still a question as to how exactly it's going to be good news and and what exactly it means that Jesus is called a Savior here. That's a key idea, Savior, and how exactly fear will be overcome. This is very important to understand if you're new to the Bible. Christmas is not God's final word. Christmas is not God's final word. It's a preparatory word. It's one of the many words he's been speaking throughout all of biblical history, but it's not the end. There's a better word he's going to speak later. This is a good word. God with us, Emmanuel, which means God is near, he's with, he's drawn close, he's become a human being. A mystery that is unfathomable, but it's not the final word. And that's why the angels keep speaking here. They don't stop with a general pronouncement of don't fear, a general pronouncement that a child has been born, and he is Emmanuel, of a virgin. So he's God and, and human at the same time, but rather they keep speaking. And so this, this progression then moves from this to a statement like, like this. And this will be a sign for you. I want to highlight this because it's, interesting, it's an interesting thing to say, I think, isn't it? Why not just say here, here's where you'll find the baby. Here's a map to Bethlehem. And they do say that, and that's part of it. But they also say, this will be a sign for you when you see Jesus lying in, in a manger. And so that word sign, the semantic range of that word biblically is fairly large, but many times sign is used to denote a symbol, 
which then here is to get at the fact that the circumstances surrounding his birth and the early days of his life are a sign that tell us something about who he is and what his mission will be. Again, if this was just about locating Jesus in a geographical way, this would be an odd way for the angels to say it. Why say this will be a sign? But the sign, they say, is that the shepherds will find Jesus laying in a manger, wrapped in swaddling cloths. And that is the divine irony and play here that so many of our great Christmas songs get at, and the Bible itself is, is trying to portray the divine irony of and the theological lesson in that, that God would be born into the world, God would be born into the world and laid in a manger, which was a feeding trough for animals. So amongst smells and hairs and animal saliva and germs, the Son of God, God himself, born into human flesh and laid in, in that type of setting. The, the contrast, the injustice of the matter, it is meant to be narratively striking for us. And also even just kind of back up and think about how we've already moved from these, this picture for the shepherds anyway to see this, that this loud army of angels praising God before these shepherds now to this quiet, humble, messy manger. There's already been this progression, this loud army of angels in the sky praising God to now this, this quiet, humble, messy manger. It underlines this whole idea that heaven is coming to earth in the form of a person. That glory is lowering itself, as the Christmas carol goes, to lie in mean estate where ox and ass are feeding. This is part of the gospel. Luther has said about this, if Christ had arrived with trumpets and lain in a cradle of gold, his birth would have been a splendid affair, but it would not be a comfort to me. Why? Because it would demonstrate God's high separation from lowly humankind. His unapproachableness. That sign, the cradle of gold, that sign would communicate God and sinners are still separated. But the sign is not that. The sign is a manger. He wasn't laid on a judge's seat to condemn us or a golden throne to keep us as servants, but a manger that he might associate with us. But, but as good as that is, so we've, already, we've been moving from, from general to more specific here, fear is being quelled, and that there's going to be a, a humiliation, a type of God lowering himself to associate with us. That idea is amazing. That's what's happening right here in the, in the storyline, but, but the gospel is, encompasses that idea. God associates, he can, he can empathize with us. Everything you've ever struggled with, every temptation, Every bit of darkness in your life, God can say, I've shared in that. Not a billion miles away, speculating, but he, he shared in it. And so that, that's an amazing truth for us as we think about the character and nature of God and what he's like to us here in the story, but right now in this very room and, and in our lives. But as good as that is, we're not done yet. That, that the narrative keeps going here. Luke 2 keeps going and there's even more to the manger that it being a sign of God's humility and interest in drawing near, there's the question of how exactly he will do this. And that's the third piece, and the final piece to this progression that's very important to get. And that is here in verse uh, 16. 
in following. How exactly will he save? And again, remember, God, God is the master storyteller and the master foreshadowist. Uh, the, the gospel is not just that he came to associate with the lowly. It's very important. But to ultimately die for the lowly, for us. The manger is not just a sign of lowliness, but a sign of being laid on wood, literally. Like later in life, he will be laid on a wooden cross and nailed to it for us. And more than that, the fact that he's circumcised here in the last verse is not just to express that he is the end of the Old Testament law and that he fulfills it. That's a piece to what's going on here, but that's another sermon. Uh, and that he is its goal. It's not just to do that, but it's also to show us here at the very beginning of his life that he is already shedding blood at the hands of others. Like later, he would shed blood at the hands of sinful men who would unjustly condemn him unjustly mock him, and unjustly crucify him. Then, like he is wrapped in swaddling cloths here, he would later be wrapped in a linen shroud and buried in a tomb for us. And all of that together, Christian, and those of you who are not yet a Christian, all of that together is the gospel. And where Luke 2 is headed, the hints and whispers that we have of it from the angels and the way that they appear, what they say, to whom they appear, the circumstances surrounding his birth, where he was laid, the fact that even after eight days, he's already shedding blood at the hands of others. That is how this passage in, in Luke's intent, God through him, is whispering the gospel ahead of time. The manger is a whisper, but the cross, the cross is a shout. And so Christmas is interesting because it, it has this, uh, this amazing happy feel to it that fear is going away. God is near, but then a terrible tremble to it as well as we think about what it's anticipating. It's anticipating the cross, God dying for sinners. But then kind of back to the other side again, this happy relief when we think about what his death accomplished for us. Peace with God, atonement for the worst of our sins, and the hope for eternal life because when God dies for sinners, death starts to loosen its grip on us and even to run the other way in the face of the one who's strong enough and resolved enough to destroy it. All right, so, so what do we do with this? It's a lot here. Um, but basically, uh, I think Mary is a, is, is a fantastic example to look at and follow here in what Luke says about her response. And there are others that respond this way too, but Mary especially is highlighted. And that is in verse 19, it says, Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And so to flip that around onto us, the point, the response is treasure up these things and ponder all of them in, in our hearts. This made me think, too, of Luke 23. At the end of, of Luke's account, uh, gospel account, or this same account, actually, at the end, it says when Jesus is on the cross, breathing his last, the last moment of his death, it says, then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit when he's being crucified. And having said this, he breathed his last. And then it says this, interesting inclusion here. All his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Is that interesting? There are examples narratively of people all throughout the Gospel of Luke and other Gospels as well. Mark has a great version of this as well. But Luke here, narratively, 
of people watching and pondering and considering and observing and otherwise meditating on what exactly God is up to through this person, Jesus. When he's born the way that he was, and especially when he dies, uh, in a way to fulfill his birth, as we've been saying. And my, one of my encouragements for you guys is, is, especially if you're new to this whole thing, but if you're not as way of reminder, is this is a really simple thing. It, it doesn't come without work. It takes intentionality and work to ponder a choice to do that, right, in time and some sacrifice. But it's a grace. It's liberating. Really, it's all that God requires us to be saved, to ponder and look and think and observe. On him, believe, trust, look at what he's doing. These ideas and words don't make sense if the point is just some moral lesson. The point is watch from afar, look, ponder, store them up in your heart. And with that, fight against this watered-down worldly message of Christmas that basically gets boiled down to Jesus was born into the world to teach us a bunch of things to do. So Christmas then becomes about just getting along with each other, about doing good, and that's it. But if that's it, that misses the point really entirely. There's no gospel in it. It doesn't flow with Luke 2 or what Jesus does with his teaching ministry or, or why he had to die at all. And so my, my encouragement here is let's not make Christmas too much about us, too quickly about us, but rather follow Mary's example. Observe, watch his goodness first, all that he's done for you. Watch from afar, knowing that you are not near to the idea of being able to save yourself, but rather Christ came into the world that others might watch and ponder him all the way to the cross where he slays death, slays sin, slays it all for us in love for, for sinners like us. Christmas, rightly understood, is a sign of that. That's the whole point. Christmas, rightly understood. Christmas seen as a sign, a prophetic sign of a greater thing coming later. Because see, Easter is God's final word. Christmas is not God's final word. Easter is. Jesus' death and resurrection is the final, ultimate thing he has to say. So when he keeps speaking, that's what he keeps saying to us in love. That we might see and ponder and think and receive, watching this from afar and choosing to believe. And so that, that I think, in, in the spirit of what Mary's doing here, and the shepherd's response and their obedient kind of response to the angelic vision, is ponder these things, watch them, preach these things to our soul, when you see the baby Jesus being laid in a wooden manger, think about the cross. When you see his circumcision, think about him being, his body spilling blood in a greater capacity later on. Those are signs, signs. Embody this gospel with generosity and hospitality and love and let it quell your fear. With that said, let's pray. We'll respond with a few, few more songs. God, thank you so much uh, for Luke 2. Thanks for, for this passage, for what it means to us. For Christmas, uh, as a sign, Christmas as a sign of your grace and goodness, Christmas as a sign of the wooden cross, as a sign of your blood, as a sign of the Old Testament storyline being completed. And all it was pointing to 
through the person and work of Jesus, ultimately his death for us, which actually is where fear is quelled. No more fear because perfect love, love shown to us there, drives out that fear. For who could take away that gift given to sinners by God? Who could take it away? Who could take away the idea that God said, these are my people. These, these are my people I'm dying for and I'm calling my sons and daughters. I'm saving. That's the good news of, of, of Christmas that we, we can look ahead to and kind of tremble in, in fear in the sense of knowing what it's leading you to, Jesus, but rejoicing knowing that when God draws near, it's not here to judge. It's, it's not here to keep us underneath as servants, but, but to bring us up to be with you, close to you, so we might dine at your table like we're sons and daughters. So we might be filled with your spirit, being called friends of God, even being called sons of God, uh, too, as Christ was on that high level, sharing in his sonship and, and having all of our sins erased and the hope of, hope of eternal life, which is the hope over death, which we all must face once. So God, help us to believe the gospel uh, kind of through the lens of Christmas as a church and as individuals and families uh, this, this year. Thanks again, God, for who you are. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.